Well, our annual theme this year has been Hope for Everyday Life. And in the summer series, what we've been doing is we've been studying through 2 Peter verses one, or chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And we've been doing a series on Hope for Fruitful Service. And so we just finished studying all the various different kinds of qualities that the Apostle Peter lays out that we need to be diligent to grow in. And he gives us two reasons in verses 8 and 9 why that's so important. So in chapter 1 of 2 Peter, he says this, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, he gives us another reason. He says, For whoever lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Okay, so there's a really positive reason there why we want to be growing in the qualities uh, that were mentioned in verses 5 to 7, because we want to be fruitful. That's really the main emphasis of the summer series we've been doing as Christians. We want to be fruitful. We do not want to be blind, having forgotten that we were even cleansed from sins. So, In continuing that series, we're going to pivot a little bit, still focusing on being fruitful for service, but we're going to jump into studying spiritual gifts over the next six weeks. Our main passage that we're going to use as an anchor passage, similarly to how we used 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 as an anchor passage, we're going to be using Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. So Romans 12, verses 6 to 8, I'll just read that quickly for you. This is what we're, is going to be the anchor passage over the next number of weeks. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, that being we have spiritual gifts, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. So if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So we're going to be unpacking that text and those specific spiritual gifts over the next uh, five or so weeks. But what we're going to do this morning, as opposed to trying to unpack in those messages the entire concept of a spiritual gift, of spiritual gifts, while we're speaking about individual spiritual gifts, what we're going to do this morning is do an introductory, uh, introductory message on just what spiritual gifts are. So this message is aimed to frame and set up the next five sermons about the specific spiritual gifts that are mentioned in Romans 12, 6 to 8. So our goal this morning is understanding spiritual gifts and how the Bible talks about them. So we're going to be going through five questions this morning to make sure that we're all on the same page as we move forward over the next five weeks. So the first question we're going to look at is, what is a spiritual gift? We're going to be thinking about the definition of what that is according to Scripture. Two, who gets spiritual gifts? Three, when does a person receive spiritual gifts? Then four, this is a very important question, what's the purpose of these spiritual gifts? And then finally, we're going to ask this, we're going to address this question, are all the spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament still active today? Now, normally what we do when we preach on Sunday mornings is we would tell you, open to this passage, and we're going to go through that specific passage um, and explain that. So like in the, in the series that we had just done, where last week Pastor Rob spoke on perseverance, 
we used 1 Peter 1 where it mentioned perseverance, and then he went to Job and walked through uh, the narrative of Job to explain what perseverance is. That's essentially what we'll do in the weeks to come, but this morning we're going to be jumping all over the place. Okay, that's not normally how we preach, but in order to set up this me- in order to set up the series, that's what we've chosen to do. So, first question that we're going to address: What is a spiritual gift? Now, a really good place to begin is where Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians twelve one says now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Well, that's good news, so that's where we'll start on, on how Paul talks about spiritual gifts in this passage. So, he says then in verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Then there's a variety of effects, but the same God works all, thing, works, works all things in all persons, but each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then in verses 8 to 10, we're skipping over that, he lists a number of spiritual gifts. And then in verse 11, he says, but the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, this is not the only passage that helps us define what a spiritual gift, but the various elements that we're going to use in our definition of a spiritual gift are found in this present passage. So our answer to what is a spiritual gift is that they are gifts of grace, for God's glory, granted by the Holy Spirit that are designed for the church's edification. Okay, so gifts of grace for God's glory, granted by the Holy Spirit that are designed for the church's edification. So there's really four basic parts to that. Now let's break down this definition just a little bit. So first, they are gifts. Now, when something is a gift, that means it's not something that you actually earned. It's not something that you worked to get. True gifts are not earned because of work. They're given because of love. So, when you read about uh, certain persons in Scripture that are gifted, right, you should see that as God's good grace, not, well, that person is really amazing that they earned something. Now, whenever I think about gifts, and how they were given and not earned, I always think about my 1995 red Honda Civic with no hubcaps. I drove that thing around the high school parking lot and all over Littleton, Colorado, where I grew up, and I thought I was so cool and so amazing. And what I should have been doing was driving around thinking about how amazing and wonderful and kind and loving my parents were. They bought it. They paid the insurance on it. They paid for the maintenance. Now, maybe I had to do some of it, but I mean, Paul hits the nail on the head in 1 Corinthians 4, 7 when he says, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Now, can you boast in your gifts? Well, yes, you certainly can, but that would, that would be offensive to the Lord And it would be as dumb as me boasting in my 1995 Honda Civic, as if I had anything to do with it. So, when it comes to gifts, they are gifts freely given by the Lord. Now next, spiritual gifts, they come from God and are for His glory. 
Now, we skipped over verses 2 to 3 in 1 Corinthians 12, but if if you're there, you can see what this text says, where in verse 2 he says, you know that when you were pagans, so when you weren't actually believers, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And then verse 3 says, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, the point is that the gifts that God gives to us are for His glory and for Jesus. They're to operate underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, that goes right along with the point that we just made about them being gifts. Those gifts are not for us to boast in, to exalt ourselves in, but rather they are all for the glory and honor of Jesus. Then, in addition to being for God's glory... They're also for the benefit and edification of others, which we saw clearly stated in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12, where it says they are for the common good. They're not individually, the the gifts are not for us personally. Now, this is part of the main reason why Paul even wrote the letter to the the Corinthian church. They're using their spiritual gifts in a self-centered, self-exalting way, but if we're going to use gifts in that kind of way for ourselves, we're missing the entire point of why God gave them. I mean, that's why people in the Corinthian church are exalting themselves over one another, boasting in their gifts, and that kind of spiritual competition goes against the glory of God. It tears down the church rather than builds up and edifies the church. And it treats gifts as if they're things earned rather than things freely given by God's grace. Now, if that's how we understand spiritual gifts in a self-exalting, competitive kind of way, I mean, there really is no hope for us to be fruitfully serving one another or serving the Lord. So, what is a spiritual gift? It's a gift of grace for God's glory, granted by the Holy Spirit for the edification of the church. Now, the next question that we want to address is, who gets these spiritual gifts? Well, here's a few passages to look at in verse Romans 12, 6, which we already read. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, we're to exercise them accordingly. Then in Ephesians 4, 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Then 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, these are not the only passages, but I think the clear implication from these verses is that every single believer gets spiritual gifts, right? What isn't clear is how many you actually get. Is it one or is it more? Our answer, though, as far as who gets spiritual gifts, is every single believer in Jesus Christ gets spiritual gifts. Now, perhaps you heard me say that answer, every believer, and you thought to yourself, Well, that can't be true because God skipped over me. Well, according to God's Word, that cannot be true. If you're a Christian, then you've received the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit who is indwelling in you has gifted you with at least one spiritual gift to be employed for the church's benefit and for God's glory. But when God gives you a spiritual gift, it's not like He gives you a note card that says, here's what it is, and here's how you're to use it. 
So the question becomes, well, how would we actually know what our spiritual gifts are? Because as we've read in Romans 12, it seems like God expects us to know what our gifts are, and then He expects us to diligently use them in the body for His glory and for the service of others. So how do we know what our gifts are? Now, you may be familiar with spiritual gift tests. You can probably go online and find those. They're kind of like personality tests. Those tests aren't given to us in Scripture, so they're not sinful to use, but I would certainly take them with a grain of salt, maybe two grains of salt. And at Faith Church, we don't necessarily encourage people to be using those tests to find out what their spiritual gifts are. Rather, we would encourage people to seek out and find out what their gifting is by jumping in and serving and trying things out. And as you get involved in serving, there'll be a couple of ways that will probably confirm if you're gifted in that way or area. So one thing that'll probably happen is you'll find enjoyment in that area. But then secondly, further than just enjoyment, and probably even more important than just a desire and enjoyment in that area, is that others in the church will confirm that you actually have a gifting in that area. So, practically, how might this play out? Well, it's going to start with just trial and error. So, for example, I mean, I'll give you an example in my life. I had the desire to teach from a very young age. So, I jumped into any teaching opportunity I possibly could, pretty much starting from middle school and still continuing to this day. And part of how I realized that I had the gift of teaching was, one, I desired to do it, and then as I taught, I continued to desire to want to teach more, but then more than just a desire to teach, others kept listening to my teaching, and they actually would say things that they were like helped and edified by what I taught. Now, just imagine that instead of people being helped and encouraging me in my teaching, people were saying, Greg, you know, we're, we're really thankful that you're willing to teach, but we don't have the foggiest idea what you're talking about. Now, that probably would have had two effects. One, I probably would not have continued to pursue growth in teaching. And secondly, there probably wouldn't have been anybody left to teach because nobody would be helped by it. So, desire is certainly part of the confirmation in the spiritual gift, but that's not the only part of it. Now, one more comment on this. Many people in our church could certainly stand up and give testimony to the fact that their gifting is in an area that they were first resistant to actually jumping in and serving in. So the point being, there, there might not be an initial desire to serve or have that gift first. Instead, for many, somebody asked them to serve, they jumped in because they were asked, and then over time they found out that they really enjoyed it and that they were particularly gifted in that area. So if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, jump in and serve somewhere. One of the best ways to jump in is to say yes to the person that asks you to serve. Then being diligent in that area of service and see what the Lord does in your heart and then also listen to others in the church to see if they are recognizing a special gifting in that area. Now, two quick applications to this. If other church members are important in recognizing the gifting of others, and that's partly how we come to understand our own gifts, I hope you're looking for ways to encourage members in the body that are edifying you 
or others in the church. Secondly, if you're not a member of a gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church, I hope you'll join one. If others are important in helping us understand what our gifts are and our gifts are given to us in order to serve others, others in the church, then I hope committing to a local church would be a very, very high priority in your life. So, what's a spiritual gift? We address that. Who gets a spiritual gift? Now, the next question becomes, when does a person receive their spiritual gift? So, what I'm thinking about here is, is a spiritual gift more like a driver's license, or is it more like your DNA? So, the point being, you get your driver's license when you're old enough and mature enough and can prove that you're not going to hurt somebody with that license. So, is your spiritual giftedness the same way where God goes, I'll give that to you when he, th- when he thinks you're ready for it? Well, consider the following passages. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it. Or 1 Corinthians 12.11, but the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Again, there's other passages that we could bring into this, but it would seem that wherever gifting is talked about, it's past tense as far as you have received it. So if you have the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit, then you are gifted. And so we would answer this question that you receive spiritual gifts at, a, at the moment a person trusts in Jesus Christ and receives the Holy Spirit. Now, perhaps you're here this morning, you'd say, I've never trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Or maybe you're here and you say, I don't really know what that means to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Man, if that is the case, we are really, really glad that you are here this morning. We really want you to understand that before a person could ever receive spiritual gifts to be employed or used, a person must first receive the Holy Spirit, and the only way that you can receive the indwelling Holy Spirit is to repent of your sins and to trust in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for your forgiveness of sins. To trust in Jesus means that you're trusting that apart from Him, apart from His death, burial, and resurrection, that you're destined for hell under the just wrath of God for your sin, but that through the love of Jesus Christ on the cross, man, we can actually die to our sin and then live to please Christ. And apart from that forgiveness of sins, and the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, it's impossible to fruitfully serve the way that we're talking about. It's impossible to love God and love others the way that Scripture commands. So if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, man, we would urge you, urge you to do that even today. Now, an important caveat to this that we really don't have much time to consider this morning, and quite frankly, I'm not even sure Scripture really addresses it, while we know that everybody has some gift um, and that you get a particular gift at conversion, doesn't mean that one, when the Holy Spirit enters you, you get gifts and that's it. Or could you get gifts later on? I really think Scripture is silent on that, but what it seems that Scripture would say is when the Holy Spirit indwells you, you at least get one gift or more at the moment of your new birth. Now, as we just pause for a moment, I hope that as you consider the fact that God gives to every single Christian, every single believer, and so you think in this room, everybody who knows Jesus Christ has at least one spiritual gift, 
I hope that you would actually praise the Lord that he would be that kind and that loving to gift us. I think we all would have to admit that God didn't have to design things that way, right? He could have said, I sent you Jesus, I saved you, just figure out the rest. That would have still been a pretty good deal, but that's not how our God operates. He has chosen to gift His people, and I hope we understand how loving, how kind, how awesome our Heavenly Father is, not only to grant salvation, but also to gift us so that we can actually please the Lord and serve others. And so I hope we just marvel at the Lord's plan and His love in giving us spiritual gifts. Now, the fourth question, this one's really quite important. This is going to guide a lot of the next number of weeks that we think about this, is what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? Now, we certainly already touched on this in the definition of spiritual gifts, but in this part of the sermon, we're really just going to look at two key purposes that God has given gifts to the church. Okay, the first is, it's for the building up of the body, Ephesians 4 is a very significant passage of Scripture that deals with spiritual gifts. And in verse 12, among other places in the Bible, he says that gifts are for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Now, one of the common metaphors that's used throughout the New Testament is to describe the church is that the church is being built. Okay, so we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul talks about how he laid as a foundation as a wise builder for the church. Elsewhere in the Bible, the church is described as the temple or building of God. So the building metaphor is very common to describe not only what we are as a church, but also what is happening in the church. So one of the best ways to understand much of the ministry that goes on around Faith Church is to think about it through the lens of building. So for example, when myself or one of the other pastors is up here preaching, what are we trying to accomplish in preaching the Word? Well, the answer is we are trying to build up the body, build up members of this church. When you're in an adult Bible fellowship or a small group, well, what is happening in that group? The same sort of thing. We're trying to build each other up into Christ through teaching, through serving one another, through encouragement, and so forth. So the point is this building metaphor is very common in in Scripture, and one of the primary reasons that God specially gifts His people is so that we would build up others, strengthen others, and edify others in the church. Now, one of the great encouragements to your pastors is to look around and to see so many people using their gifts diligently in order to build and strengthen up the body, right? Seeing people use their gifts is an incredible encouragement to us. They could be using their gifts for other reasons, right? They could be using their gifts not first and foremost to build up the body. They could be using them for themselves, but praise the Lord for the many that actually use their gifts for the edification of the church. Now, that's a key question that I think every individual member actually needs to ask themselves, me included, am I diligently and intentionally seeking to use my gift in order to strengthen and edify the church body? 
Now, it's easy to do one of two things with the gifts that the Spirit would give you. First, you could use it selfishly for your own ambition to make money, to make a name for yourself, etc. Or we could be like the wicked steward in Matthew 25 that takes the talent that the Lord gives to him and he just goes and buries it and doesn't even use it. Now, it would be my hope and prayer that as we consider what the Bible says about gifts, that we would not want to do that, but we would rather want to diligently employ that gift for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. Now, a second purpose, in addition to building up the body very, uh, and connected very closely with that, is bringing unity to the church. Now, we saw this in 1 Corinthians 12 when we were thinking about Uh, uh, the definition of a spiritual gift, but we see God's plan of the varied gifts that he gives for the purpose of building unity. So, in verse 4 of chapter 12, it says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. There's a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Okay, and, and then Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, he says he gives us gifts, and the point of all this is until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, are all spirit. Oh, sorry, that shouldn't be in there. Um, that last part's not actually Scripture. Just ignore that. Um, So one of the goals of giving spiritual gifts is unity in the body. Then he says in Ephesians 2, 13 to 14, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall of hostility. Now, the two groups that have been made into one are the Jews and the Gentiles. So, God in the gospel of Jesus Christ brought unity between these two groups, between all the various ethnicities. You have Jews and then Gentiles as all the other ethnicities that there are. People that used to hate each other, God has brought near in one body as brothers and sisters through Jesus Christ. So part of the way that God designed the unity of the church body is through different members, through different backgrounds, different upbringings, with different gifts, all serving in one body through one spirit and for one Lord. And so the diversity of the body all serving each other and living united in purpose to glorify Jesus is one of the ways that the world can actually tell that the gospel is real. Finding a large group of diverse people in community, genuinely loving and serving one another, just doesn't make sense to the world. That's even why Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So I hope that one of the experiences you regularly have when you're at church or you're serving the church body in some way, or even being served by somebody, is that you would be thanking and praising God that others in the church have different gifts than you. So, for example, when you see someone in ABF and they send around a card in order to... um, in order to, because someone's sick or they've lost a loved one, I hope you would pause and thank God that that person is gifted and gifted to our church to love and show mercy and kindness to people that are going through difficult waters. 
or when someone is setting up meals and cleaning for a family that's going through some deep, deep waters, do you pause and thank God for the diversity of the body and thank God that not everyone is like you? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be thankful for our own gifting. We certainly should be thankful for our own gifting, but part of the joy of being in a church is getting to see the diversity of people and the diversity of gifts all being used for the building up of the body until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And so I hope one of the prayers that you will regularly pray for your church is that God would help all of us to be diligent to use our gifts for the building up of the body and for the unity of the church rather than for selfish gain and selfish ambition. Now finally... We're going to address this question, are all spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament active today? Now first, a quick clarification and introduction before we actually address this question specifically. There are certain truths in the Christian faith that are central, and you have to believe those in order to be a Christian. Okay, they're not up for debate, they're not negotiable. So practically speaking, there are things that if you choose to believe, you cannot be a Christian, and you certainly could not be a member of this church because Scripture is very, very clear on them. So, for example, you cannot believe that you need to pray to Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus, for the remission of sins. Or you can't believe that all religions are equally valid, meaning that, well, all roads lead to heaven. So, in order to be a member of faith church, in order to be a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, you have to believe certain things and you have to reject other beliefs. Those beliefs will also mean that you have to live a certain way. So, for example, you cannot take the view of sin that, well, since I'm saved by grace, I just ask for forgiveness, but what I do doesn't actually matter. Okay, now, I say all that as a preface simply to say that how we're going to answer this question doesn't fall into the exact same category of, well, you have to agree with what we are saying in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and even to some degree, you could disagree some, somewhat with what we're saying here and still be a member of faith church so long as you're not being divisive about how you go about this. So, here's how we're going to answer this question. First, by saying that there are generally two categories of gifts mentioned in the New Testament. So, first we see there are authenticating and then also edifying gifts. Now, what do we mean by authenticating or edifying gifts? Well, if you go back to the days of Moses for a moment and the Exodus, what was the main way that, that Moses convinced everybody that he was actually speaking on behalf of God? Because that's a pretty significant claim. Did he ever sit down with the leaders of Israel and say, you know, here's my logical argument, this is why you should believe I'm speaking for God? Did he give them a piece of paper that had, you know, God's signature on it? No, that's not what he did. He worked miracles that validated and authenticated that he actually was speaking on behalf of God. Similarly, you can think about like Elijah on Mount Carmel when he's calling the children of Israel to repent from worshiping Baal and to only worship God. What did he do? Well, he prayed and called fire down from heaven. So the point is that often when prophets spoke for God, they had confirming signs to authenticate the message that they were speaking. 
that is really no different than how Jesus used miracles or how the New Testament apostles used miracles. The miracles were not cool party tricks just to wow and impress people. They were there to authenticate the messenger so that then the message that they were declaring would, would be authenticated as truly coming from God. But there's another class of gifts as well, gifts that we're calling edification gifts. Now, you have, I believe, in your handout, there's a chart there that shows, maybe it's not there, um, <laughs> but there's the chart. Um, there are authenticating gifts, that, and these are the five that we're putting in that category as far as gift of prophecy, gift of healing, working of miracles, gift of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. That's what we're calling authenticating gifts. And then you have a list also of edifying gifts. Now, this chart lists all the verses in the New Testament where a specific spiritual gift is mentioned. These are not references to examples of the gift being used. So, for example, there are lots of references to healing and where the gift of healing would be used. But this is just mentioning where specifically it's called out as a spiritual gift. Now, also, this chart lists all the gifts that the New Testament specifically calls out as a spiritual gift. We don't believe that these lists are exhaustive lists of spiritual gifts, meaning we're not convinced that only what's on this chart are the only spiritual gifts that exist. Rather, we believe that they are representative of the kinds of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. Now, part of the reason we don't believe these are exhaustive lists is because some gifts are mentioned in some places and not others. So, for example, 1 Corinthians 12 will list gifts that Romans 12 doesn't, but then you'll also find overlap where 1 Corinthians 12 mentions prophecy, and so does Romans 12. So, at this point, if you're wondering, I haven't said anything very controversial yet. I've saved that for the last thing. The last point we have here is that we believe that authenticating gifts were necessary until the completion of Scripture, but no longer. So specifically, to answer the question, do we believe that all spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament are active today, our answer would be no. Not all spiritual gifts are active today because we have the completed Scriptures. Now, the gifts that we do not believe that are active today are the ones that fall under that category of authenticating gifts. The authenticating gifts, as I've mentioned, were to authenticate a specific messenger so that his message would also be authenticated as coming from God. The authenticating of the message was absolutely critical because those messengers were writing down the very words of God, his inerrant authoritative words. So since the Bible has been completed, meaning that there are no more letters, there are no more books or anything else being added to Scripture, we do not believe that the authenticating gifts are actually active anymore. Because the message of the Bible and the writings in the Bible have been authenticated, our job today isn't to get new revelation or to get a new word from God. Our task today, rather, is to know the Bible and to know that His words are authoritative and true and to seek to apply those today. That's why every week we ask you to bring your Bible. That's why we encourage every person in the church to be reading their Bible every day. 
That's why all of our sermons and small groups are looking to the Bible as the sufficient and authoritative source of truth in everything. Our pastors do not believe that we are the source of truth. We seek to submit ourselves, our teaching, our leadership, and everything we do under the Word of God. Now, that's about all the time we have to answer that question. That is anything but an exhaustive answer to that question. So, if you are curious or wanting to understand more why we would believe that, I'd invite you to ask. But one of the reasons that we really wanted to address this question is because we're going to spend the next five weeks on spiritual gifts, and as we look at Romans 12, 6 to 8, we really didn't want people being really confused or wondering, like, why did we skip over the gift of prophecy, right? Like, why would we just ignore it? Well, the reason that we're going to skip a specific sermon on the gift of prophecy is because we don't believe that gift is active today. So, we're not going to have a sermon in the series on fruitful service saying, we don't believe prophecy is active, so come back next week to see how you could be fruitful for the Lord, right? We're just not going to spend a week on that. Now, everything I said doesn't, does not rule out the belief that God still does miracles today. So, what we are saying is that no one person has the miraculous authenticating gifts So, if you hear a story of someone being cured by cancer and there's no medical explanation for it, that fits with what I'm saying here. What I'm saying, though, is the gift of healing as being an authenticating gift that we see in the days of the early church, it no longer exists. It does not exist because the reason that it was needed is no longer valid with the completion of the Bible, okay? Now, before we, want to, before we take communion, I want to reiterate one thing that we've already hit on this morning, lest we just end on a controversial note. The goal of gifts is actually to build up, encourage, and unify the church. Our view of spiritual gifts, if it's being used to simply cause division, is not a right way to be using spiritual gifts. So I hope that we'll all be asking ourselves that question, are we actually using what God has gifted us in order to edify and build up the church and for God's glory? Now, I would encourage you to take time to consider over the course of the next number of weeks, one, what is my gift or gifts, and two, how do I use that gift in, um, in building up the church? And if you need help in answering that question, certainly be praying to the Lord about it, but if you need help with that, I would encourage you to talk to your service pastors, talk to your ABF teachers. We would love to help you know how you can answer that. Well, let me pray for us real quick, and then we're going to sing a song before we do communion. God, we thank you that you're a God that gifts us, or that you're a God who loves to give gifts to your children. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be thankful for how you've gifted us Lord, help us not to uh, look at our gifting and boast in and of ourselves. Help us to look at our gifting and glory in the God who gave them and then use those gifts diligently, Lord, in order to love others. God, that's certainly how you used your entire life. When, Jesus, when you came down or walked among us, you used all of your gifting, Lord, in order to serve us and for the glory of the Father. So, Lord, I pray that would be true of us. And, Lord, even as we gather around the table... Lord, may the edification of the body and the unity be something that we just rejoice in that came through 
your shed blood and through your body being broken for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.